All right, so we're working down through 2 Thessalonians 2 uh, as we um, talk about uh, last last times and, and uh, we last things. And we've been, uh, we spent a good bit of time looking at Revelation 20 uh, as it's one of the chapters in Revelation that, that kind of pulls out and expands um, uh, there that what happens after the, the thousand years and the thousand years are, are when? Yeah, now or from the ascension and to the return. Um, also referred to in chapter 12 as the, the time, time and half a times or time, times and half a time uh, there. And you see very much parallel stuff there in, in Revelation 12. Um, and this is the time where um, Satan, the dragon, is chasing those who give the testimony of Jesus. Um, so that's chapter 12 there. Um, and so repeated for us and in uh, Revelation 20, and then we look at um, what Paul's writing to the Thessalonians in 51-52, um, and he's, uh, they have uh, had a question there, and you can um, look up in your own Bibles there in 2 Thessalonians 2. Um, someone has told them or written a letter to them that says this, that Jesus already came. And so Paul answers this and, and says, you were not, what, left behind. That's right. <laughs> um, and so that's chapter 2. And so part of his uh, letting them know that, that proving that Jesus uh, has not come already and they missed it. Now, get this. This is not a time of uh, texting and Internet. So if you're Christians in Thessalonica, you don't know that you know, Jesus hasn't come already and all the other churches somehow are with Jesus somewhere. Um, second Thessalonians, I think is the, the second book of Paul, um, third book of the new fourth book of the new Testament. Um, and I, I, I take James, Matthew, first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians and Galatians is, is the order. Um, and, and so this is early on, and so there's not as much teaching. The Thessalonian church, they're at most a year and a half old in the Lord. Okay, so they haven't heard much. Um, and, and so they don't, uh, they haven't been instructed much in, in um, new heavens and new earth and all this kind of thing. So Paul, Paul is walking through with them um, what's going to happen in that little segment in Revelation 20. Um, Who's good with verses and can tell us which verses in chapter 20 we're in? When we're talking about, um, yeah, at, at when the thousand years are over. Yeah, seven, good. So you, you, you got it in your head. You know, it's, it's seven through 10, um, 11 through 15 are final judgment. Right, and then, uh, but seven through ten, right before there, it starts out. At, you know, after the thousand days are over, and, and then what? What's some of what it tells us there? If you can remember in, in Revelation twenty, um, seven through ten, Satan's released. He's he's not bound anymore. What was he bound from doing? He, he's not bound today, right? You know, he's. Yeah, deceiving the nations, and particularly that nations is a, a, a key in force of the Great Commission, making disciples of the nations, and that Jesus is going through the kingdom of the world, the house of Satan, and he's bound the strong man, 
Satan is bound from deceiving the nation. So Jesus is going through the house and he's plucking out of it whatever he wants. He's got free reign to take whatever he wants. He's not taking the, um, the stuff in the trash can, uh, but, he, but he's taking whatever he wants uh, to take and those are the elect. Um, but at the end of the thousand years, um, Satan is uh, uh, unbound, he's loosed, and what's he do? What's hap what happens between this and final judgment, which happens in verse 11 of 20? He brings all the unbelievers together. Brings all the unbelievers together. Yeah, and, and um, deception beyond what he was doing among unbelievers during the thousand years. And, and what does he bring the non-believers together to do? Yeah, fine. so good. You're giving all the right answers. Final battle and coming against the church. And, and so the, the unbelievers of the world come against the church. We don't know exactly what that looks like. It's not mapped out for us, you know, where and how and, and, and what here. Uh, but we're told that, that the, the, the camp of God's people, the church, um, that uh, Satan and, and um, all mankind um, who are not believers come against the church. Um, but then Jesus comes and, and, and wins. That's, that's the, the last part of that there. And so when we look at 2 Thessalonians 2, we're in a parallel passage here. And not every parallel passage, you know, we're in the theme of God uses what? Synonyms. There we go. <laughs> I asked Bob this at Presbytery, and he was half asleep and half dead. He was really feeling terrible. I was talking to another pastor, and I said, yeah, I always tell my congregation, you know, God uses. And I said, what, Bob? And Bob was like, oh. <laughs> so Bob was all over that just a second ago. Uh, but God, this is in the, the category of God uses. In his, and when God talks in parallel ways throughout Scripture, he doesn't, it's not exact um, Venn diagrams. He's not saying everything he said in the other passage where he addresses this topic. Um, and he's not not including other stuff. And he's not leaving out some stuff. And so whenever God uh, speaks, um, you know, and gratefully in scripture, we have passages that, that speak of the same thing. But when they do, it's not, it's, it's not the second passage doesn't come along at, and say just exactly in the same way and mentioning all the exact same things in the same proportions. It's not doing that. Instead, what we have here um, in, in, in Scripture is that when, um, when uh, a passage talks about, like, this period when, when the thousand years are over, um, when another passage talks about it, it talks about it here. And so it, it adds information. And, you know, it's part of why, and God is, the big word here is canonization of Scripture and is providing all of Scripture for us. He, he gives us all these, he, he doesn't just say, he doesn't just put a footnote there and say, see Revelation 20, um, 7 through 10. Instead, he maps it out for us. Um, and he gives us additional information in the new uh, parallel passages. God is inscripturating, uh, for instance, the New Testament um, from 44 to uh, 80, 95 there. But also, as he includes some stuff, he leaves some other stuff out. 
and, and we don't get all upset. We don't lose our heads on this, just like we don't lose our heads when we're talking to anyone in life. You know, and you say, you know, and they're talking about something you've talked to them about, and they talk to you about it a second time, and you don't get mad at them and say, you haven't said everything exactly that you said the last time we talked about this. Are you talking about something else? <laughs> we don't do that. We know how language works. And so when we go to scripture, we don't lose our heads. Okay? We, God uses, God communicates like we communicate. Okay? And, and, and so um, some things um, will be over here that, that aren't repeated in this, this commonality here. And so that's where we are with, um, you know, Revelation uh, 20, uh, 7 through 10. And then over here, um, 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay, and so these two passages is co have commonality, and they have enough commonality where it's pretty obvious that it's the same thing. And in fact, in 2 Thessalonians, he tells you exactly this stuff will happen right before Jesus comes back. And here's how you know. So he's talking to the Thessalonians and saying, here's how you know Jesus hasn't come back because this stuff hasn't happened. And this is the stuff when Jesus comes back that he's going to crush. And so since this stuff hasn't appeared, Jesus hasn't crushed it. And that means he hasn't come back either. Okay, so that's what he's talking about in Second Thessalonians uh, 2 there. Okay. Um, that so they can see that better on the there's just a little glare okay um so second thessalonians 2 uh, 6 through 12 um there's more there 1 through 5 addresses this as well but we're looking at these uh verses and and some commonality it has with things john says in first john in ad 985 um perhaps and then what he says in uh revelation as well we'll look at that which he says 10 years later in ad 95. But let's, uh, to refresh our minds, which I always need, let's, let's reread 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 12. So it's just printed for us up here. Um, but uh, let's, let's read it. And can we start in the back, Joyce and, Joyce and Faith, and then come across with uh, the uh, Wes and Dakota and Anna? Um, and so we looked at a couple places in, in uh, 1 John 2.18 first and 4.3. And we looked at that. Uh, what's he say about Antichrist and 
the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. Anyone want to sum that up for us? The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Now, when's John writing? Yeah, so 80, 85, first century. So what's that mean? Are we waiting for the spirit of Antichrist to be in the world? No, he's been here for 2,000 years. Okay, go ahead, Bob. Okay, so the, there's, there's a the Antichrist that Paul puts in future tense. Um. Uh, and, and as he talks to uh, Thess Thessalonians uh, here in AD 52. Um, yeah, and, and so uh, what's he say in 219 as well to the, um, to the Ephesians there in, in 2 John 218? About what's present in their day. Antichrist, many antichrists. Many antichrists have come. <laughs> So this was something that, that was already true when you're in A.D. 85. So many antichrists have come. So that, that's people, right? Antichrists, they, they have come. They've arrived. Um, and then the spirit of antichrist is in the world. And then there's a, the antichrist to come. Okay, and we're not being clever here. We're just reading this text and saying, what does the text say? And repeating what the text say, says. So this is not our opinion. Okay, and you know me and opinion. Sometimes I say opinion, and sometimes I say, don't build a church over this. We're just saying what the scriptures say. So don't think you're on e e equal ground when you're talking with somebody who says, Oh, no, there's nothing of, nothing of Antichrist. There's only one Antichrist, and he hasn't come yet. You just say to them, wrong. Let me take you to these verses. Now, are you going to call the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, incorrect? Are you going to call Scripture fallible and errant? Now, of course, you don't talk to somebody like that. But I, I want you to know that's the confidence we have when we say these things. Because it's just printed for us. John's being very clear. Many antichrists, A.D. 85, many antichrists have come, verse uh, um, uh, 18, 2.18, 4.3, the spirit of antichrist uh, is already in the world. And that the uh, uh, antichrist, verse 2.18, is coming. Three things. John tells us there, and we're not guessing. He's just telling us those things. Anyone else who tells you anything else is wrong. Okay? And it's not because that's what I think. It's because that's what's here. We're just saying what's here. Right? You got to do crazy gymnastics to get over those three facts. Okay? So, what's been the case since Jesus ascended in terms of the spirit of Antichrist? here okay in fact during jesus day was the spirit of antichrist there yeah who, who are some examples of people we see in the gospels who represent the who have the spirit of antichrist who are people against jesus the jews who killed him and they're led by the pharisees okay so there are plenty of people 
who are against Jesus. Uh, that this, there's the spirit of Antichrist already present. Um, and, and, you know, even kind of thematically, we can take this back into the Old Testament. You know, now, it's, it's more, you know, because there's never a time when Christ is not God. And God is not, you know, uh, consisting of the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, um, okay. Um, so, uh, in Second Thessalonians uh, 2, 6 through 12, we see our bolded, italicized passages there. Um, in verse 6, he may be revealed at the proper time. So, he, who's the he? The. The Antichrist. And so, that, that's future. He may be revealed at the proper time. And that goes along with what John has said. John, 1 John 2.18, the Antichrist is coming. So they're both bolded and in, in italics. Um, on the left, down to verse 8, um, the lawless one will be revealed. Okay, so speaking of the Antichrist. Um, and then verse 9, the coming of, what's he call him here? The lawless one. Does God use synonyms? Yes. Okay, so what are the two synonyms we, that, that Paul puts on the table in 2 Thessalonians 2? Lawless one? Yeah, anti okay. So there we go. Well, actually, we have, to, we have to pull from 1 John, don't we, for Antichrist there. Okay. All right. So uh, going down now. Uh, next, so we get to Revelation 7, 1. Uh, and let's, let's go ahead and, and read this. And uh, so... Bob, we're up to you, and we'll go across that second row, and then we'll come up to Charlene. So only two behind you, Charlene, so you'll be the third verse. Go ahead, Bob. Revelation 7, 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and prevent any wind from blowing on the land, or on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice for, to the four angels, who have been given power to harm the land and the sea. Oh, sorry. I, I, I must have pulled out the verse 2 reference there. So, Laura, you get verse 3. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Revelation 7, 1, 1 through 3 here. Where else do we hear about a seal being put on the servants of God that's not in Revelation? <clears throat> It relates to our spirit baptism, being baptized in the spirit. The Holy Spirit coming upon us. Pentecost. It happens to people at Pentecost. And yeah, Matthew, what'd you say? The Holy Spirit comes upon us. Yeah. So let, let's look. So you're, you're, you're looking confused. So let's go to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Everyone except Joyce. Joyce got it, right, Joyce? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Joyce had it written in. That's okay. It's okay. Um. <laughs> Bill had it written on his forehead, for those of you watching at home. A uh, 1, 13, and 14. <clears throat> Okay, and uh, let's go to, so um, Charlene and Matthew, you two do these two verses. Go. 
in him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, was sealed, and with, and with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, so when you believed, you were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's not the, not the only place uh, uh, Paul says this um, uh, as well. But um, so that's that's the seal. And so when we're reading something that's vague in Scripture, interpretive rule, what do we do? What's our first What's our first option when we're reading something that sounds vague or a little bit crazy? What do we do? Look elsewhere. Look elsewhere where. In scripture, good. Look elsewhere in scripture. Around it. Where it's talking about it. And one last little piece here. You're doing a good job. Where it's more clear. Yes. And so when you're talking, when you're looking at something that's crazy, you don't just go and say, I think that and start your own cult. Right? Or write a book and make lots of money. Yes. Um, what you do is you look at scripture and the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about this, that, that uh, where it speaks to salvation, scripture is very clear. Scripture is very clear on how you are to be saved, to, to believe. And through belief is forgive, belief in Jesus is forgiveness and credited righteousness and all this kind of stuff. Um, but not all scripture is as clear as every other scripture. And so when that's the case, we go to places that are, that are clear to interpret the less clear. And, and, we, and we call that, there's a phrase for it. No, it's part of it. Some of you are smiling because I ask this every uh, fourth week and no one ever gets it. No, part of it. Yes. The analogy of scripture. Yeah, that's that's the little phrase we put on the analogy. So so we you know the analogy you go to another part of scripture that's analogous. Okay, it's parallel, that speaks more clearly. And you always allow the more clearly speaking passage to interpret the vague. Okay, so Revelation, anytime you're in Revelation, usually, not always. Usually, it's more, what, clear or vague? Vague. vague. Okay, because it's prophetic. It, the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. And so when you look at Old Testament prophetic books, they've got images and analogies and visions and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, things with eyes all over them. And, and, and you know, what does that mean to me? I don't know what a thing with eyes all over it means to me, but you can go other places and see what's, what's going on with that. And so Revelation 7, um, we, we you know, read there um, that um, the very end of it there, do not harm the land or sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of whom? The servants of God. Yeah. Is this parallel to Ephesians 1.14? Yes. Absolutely. Ephesians 1.14 is talking about Christians have been sealed by God with his Holy Spirit. That's very synonymous with chapter, with verse 3 of Revelation 7, 3. So we allow the teaching passage of Paul 
where Paul is teaching the Ephesians. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's your depositor, your guarantee until Jesus comes back. He's the proof to you that you belong to Jesus until you see Jesus face to face if you happen to be here when he returns. And Jesus says, yes, you, come with me. Um, but, but you know you don't have to guess about that because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's your guarantee, he's your deposit, guaranteeing your redemption for the day of Jesus. That's what he says in 1, 13 and 14. And so Revelation 7, 3, um, these four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, okay, think of a map that contains, you know, easy way to understand this, think of a map that contains the whole, every nation on the earth, including, you know, split Ant Antarctica and split Arctic Circle, North Pole, uh, up there, um, that the four corners of the earth, so encompassing everything, are these four angels, and they are about to do what? What are they about to do over to the whole earth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? Harm the land. Harm the land, yeah. What, what, what else do we see there? I'm not really fishing here, but. What's some of the imagery there? Yeah, the wind blowing on the land. So imagine you know, one of those movies where people are going across the desert and they're all wrapped, their heads are all wrapped up with a little isolate there, you know, and, and, and things are just coming hard at them. You know, this is, a, this is an image of harshness, that wind is blowing across the land. Um, and um, yeah, the, the end there, thir verse three, they're going to harm the land, the sea, the trees. And so... Is, is the sea, is the land, are trees, do they have damage to them during this age between Jesus' ascension and his return? Yeah, this is a description of our age. It's not that every tree is being harmed all the time, but there's blight, you know, and there are trees that get hit by lightning and then die or, 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 or whatever. Or if you try to grow a tree in your yard, you know, it probably dies if you're like me. Uh, but but um, these things happen. It's hard to grow grass. Um, there are tsunamis in the seas. There are rivers that flood. You know, if you're in St. Louis, you know that. Or some other place along the Mississippi, you know that. Um, and, and so there's all this chaos. Now, background for this. Part of what John is doing in Revelation, one of the primary reasons he's writing is to let Christians know Jesus is on the throne, but that doesn't mean everything is supposed to be right. Because you might say, you know, well, if Jesus is on the throne like your unbelieving friends. If God is sovereign, why is there evil in the world? And John answers that question in Revelation 6. And he says, it's timing. Right now, Jesus is gathering his elect. He's bound Satan and he's going and he's gathering his elect yeah, uh, you know, so Revelation 6, Re Revelation 20. And, and while he's doing this, he's letting men have their own way. He's letting them follow their sin nature. It's still the kingdom of darkness. Um, Satan has not been put away um, and, and thrown into the lake of fire. Um, that happens when, in the book of Revelation, that Satan is thrown into the lake of fire? 
after final judgment. So during this time of this, this thousand years, you do, you've got chaos all around the world. And, and so this is a picture of that, that God gives to John to give to the church in Revelation 7. Um, it's angels looking in the four corners of the earth, like, you know, four corners of the map, and they're ready to charge. And they're ready to bring chaos, tidal waves, earthquakes, tornadoes, uh, blight, drought, all kinds of stuff, which you see in the, the four seals, too, and in, in, um, the first four seals of the seven, chapter six. Um, so they're ready. Um, but another angel right in the middle there, probably this is verse two, then another angel came coming up from the east, uh, having the seal of the living God. Okay, what's the seal of the living God? Okay, use your analogy of scripture. What's the seal of the living God? Yes, okay. So he's got the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and, and so we, we, we don't jump to our own things. We say, what's the seal? Scripture defines it. And so he's got the seal of the living God. And he calls out in a loud voice to the four angels who've been given power to harm the land and the sea. And, and, and what's he tell? Okay, so this is a picture. Get the timing of this. Historically, what's the timing of this image in Revelation 7? Not AD 95 when John is seeing this vision. Remember, John sees the vision of Jesus coming up to heaven. That occurred in AD 30, right? So John sees some visions of things that have happened in the past. He sees some vision, you know, it's, it's Charles Dickens. He sees some visions of things that are going on currently, and then he sees some visions of things that'll happen in the future. But what's the timing of this then? If somebody, if, if one of the angels is telling the four angels who are gonna harm the earth and the sea, if he's telling them, don't attack until I've done what? You know, historically, what, what could we say here? We're in the, we're in the, the thousand years. Not yet, because he says, don't do any of this until. But, but until the seal, you know, for this. The, the when did the seal start getting put on? Pentecost. Okay, there we go, Pentecost. Okay, so historically, we're at Pentecost. Okay, this is a picture of what's going on right before Pentecost. Okay, Jesus has been crucified and God is ready to come. And is God coming and blessing or cursing? Look, how's he coming? He's coming to curse. He's coming to curse. And what's the angel say to those who are coming to curse? Hold up. Hold up, why? I got a job to do. And what's the job? To put the seal, okay, the seal of the living God on those God loves. Okay, and so that starts at Pentecost, and then, you know, it, it, it carries on, you know, all, all images break down at some point, all, all analogies break down at some point, but, but it carries on, you know, through, through this time, you know, that, that God, through history, you know, say, and, and it's so, you know, any elect person, he's held back from harm that would kill him until, until what? Until he's saved. Yeah. Okay. So here's the assurance. Think, think about yourself in AD 95, you know, this happened. God preserved you, um, until he put his seal upon you. 
so that you're eternally safe. Okay. Um, and if you've got unbelieving relatives still, and you're sitting there in AD 95, what do you know about those unbelieving relatives who are elect? Will the um, damage to the land and sea and trees and to them uh, put them to death before they believe? No, because here's this principle operating that was operating first at Pentecost. God doesn't let, you know, his elect be harmed unto eternal damnation. Okay. So, so that's the picture from, from Revelation 7. Does that make sense to you? Uh, I know it's a kind of a, 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 you know, the thinking along the line of prophets is not something um, that gets talked about in a correct way very much today. Uh, but this is right along with what we see in the Old Testament prophets as, as well. They're visions of the past, visions of the present, visions of the future at the time that that prophet is giving those. Um, so again, um, four angels um, at the death of Jesus, and they're ready to bring it. Um, uh, and uh, they, uh, uh, another angel comes up and says, um, before you harm, do not harm the land or sea until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Okay. All right. Um, so um, here we go. And, and red, that's red text. Sorry for those of you who can't see that red text there. Um, yeah, Matthew, go so, ahead. So not to get too far into the Christian bookstore aisle here. Yeah. Um, where it says, do not harm the land and the sea. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there any correlation with what we see now as far as, and I don't want to say increased, actually, you know, there's so many political overtones, whatever, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, the world has been worse than it is today. So right. that's what I say first. Right. So and then yes, all the chaos in the world is, is because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And there's this harming of land and sea, and it's not complete annihilation, which is some of what you see in Revelation when a fourth of the earth and a third of the earth. That's that's the that's the picture there. God is not annihilating everything, but he's 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 blowing on the earth and with a scorching wind. Right, all of creation groans. Yes, all of creation groans. Romans eight. Right, um, but the, but it, within the, within you know the Bible, there is no indication of escalating correct there is periods the thousand years yeah where there is still sin within creation and therefore damage yeah. and degradation etc and so forth yeah um but then there is the next period where complete destruction occurs it's not like it ramps up it's boom boom right ebb and flow and th that's that's through history Depending on depending on where you are and what country yeah. you're in, uh, there's ebb and flow of chaos. You know, if you're in, in France in 1791, you know it's flow, no, uh, wax and wane, which is which. Anyway, the high amplitude. Wax is wax. Yeah, a lot or a little. So what's that? Wax is wax. So so you know, 1791 French Revolution, Reign of Terror, Robespierre. There you go, and the gu guillotine. Okay, if you are in France. In 1791, it's crazy, okay? And you might be saying, if you're in France and you own a Christian bookstore, you may be getting a lot of books about how Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Actually, you probably <laughs> <laughs> But then Napoleon takes over, and, and the nation 
gets, I'm not saying Napoleon's a great guy, but he brings order to France. That's one of the reasons he rises. When there's chaos, then a great dictator comes up, you know, like Germany and after World War I. Um, and so then it goes, but, but depending on where you are, we just have to have this educated, and I don't mean sophisticated, I just mean think. Different countries are in different levels of chaos at different times. And so when your nation is in chaos at a particular time, or when that year you have 22 hurricanes instead of 17, you don't say Jesus is coming back this year because next year you're gonna have less hurricanes. And it just, you know, it just goes up and down. Everything goes up and down. And so that's really the, it's the get at your question, Matthew. It's, it's, there's ebb and flow until we get to Satan is loosed and he gathers the nations. But even then, um, you know, we, again, signs of Jesus' return. How many are there? None. Until it's coming. Until it's right there. Satan's loose. He gathers the nations against the church. Jesus comes. That's it. And, and so there are all these signs for what in Matthew 24? Temple destruction. And then when Jesus goes to answer the question of his return, he says, nobody will know. No signs. And so what's his commendation to us? What's his command to Christians? Yeah, watch and wait. Keep watch. Act, if, act as if he's coming right now or in 10,000 years. Just be faithful. He says, have your master find you doing his will when he returns. Okay? We're not inventing things here. We're just going with what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25. And, and so, um, okay. So there we go. Um, so we look at this uh, passage here, Revelation 7, 1. You see in red there, holding back the four winds of the earth uh, to prevent uh, any wind from blowing on the land or sea um, or any tree. So there's, there's this element um, here, and it's kind of a multi-layered thing. Uh, first of all, elect are not extinguished um, prior to their, their believing. But also, the earth is not extinguished prior to the coming back of Jesus. And this is, this is what Paul's getting at in 2 Thessalonians 2. Um, and, and when you see in Revelation that a fourth of the earth, is, this happens to it, or a third of the earth happens to it. The picture there is that these are just things that are always going on, on the earth, but it's not the earth in, in totality, okay? And so here's where we see some of this, uh, this talking about the earth just, just uh, holding up during this time. So holding back the four winds of the earth uh, to prevent um, any wind from blowing, and then the end there, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal of foreheads on our God. Now we get to this other aspect of the truth that's in this passage here. One passage is you've got Pentecost, where the seal's first put on, first put on people. Two, you have the assurance that um, people who are elected will receive this seal prior to being demolished. And then we've got where we look at now this Jesus comes back. What's happening when Jesus comes? How is this true of when Jesus comes back? Uh, and so uh, going now over here um, to 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 12, 
there in the middle of verse 7. Um, it says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. That's the underlying part. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Um, so we see this language of what's the parallel language we see between these passages? Holding back. Okay. Um, and now, so, so we see that between these two things, there's this holding back uh, until, all, until all are brought in uh, to the church. Um, that is, Satan has not, uh, that the second coming has not come yet. Uh, because uh, this uh, holding back is still going on for the elect to come in. Um, that they're not being harmed until the seal is put on their foreheads or uh, Revelation 6, um, 10 um, and 11 there. Wait a little longer until the full number of all those who are to be killed as you have been uh, has been completed. Um, now we go on to 20. Uh, verse 7. Um, and let's let's read this. Steve, yeah. When the, <clears throat> Revelation 27. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. And will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And then Betsy. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so here's our, our Revelation 20 passage, 7 through 10, um, about the, the when the thousand years are over. And so just to look here, um, we see in this passage, uh, what just popped up there on the right-hand side in, in bold and italics? Satan will, be Satan will be released. And so we can connect that up on the left with what we see there in the same bold italic. He may be revealed at the proper time. The lawless one will be revealed, the coming of the lawless one. Okay, so there's this future, there's this future time when Satan will be released, um, and then um, we're going now into purple here. And when he's released, he goes out, deceives the nations in the four, deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Um, and it's verse 10, the devil who deceives them. Okay. And over on our left there, uh, we see uh, you know, the, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil thing that deceives those who are perishing. And then further down in verse 11, a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Okay, so we see this deception going on over on the right in Revelation 20. And then we see this deception going on in Second Thessalonians 2. Now, um, in Revelation 20, if all we have is that, 20 verses 7 through 10, um, who is deceiving the nations in Revelation 20? Satan. Satan is. Okay, so that's... 
this is Revelation 20 here. And we're told that Satan uh, will deceive. Um, and then in 2 Thessalonians 2, who's doing the deceiving there? Yeah, the lawless one. Um, in accordance with the work of Satan. So there we go. In accordance with the work of Satan is this overlap. Um, so God the Father, the, a parallel here, God the Father wants to save you. So how does he save you? Think Trinity. God the Father wants to save you. He has a list of the elect. How does he save you? The Spirit. The Spirit. Okay. Now, if someone tells you God the Father wants to save you, and then someone else comes along and says, Jesus saved you by dying on the cross. Do you call him a liar? No. No. Why? Jesus is God. God the Father saves you. How? By Jesus dying on the cross. God the Father saves you through. God the Father declares creation. Who does he create through? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus does the creating. Um, and, and so we have this parallel here, which is something we see in Revelation a lot, that Satan, the, the, uh, the sea beast and the land, the, the dragon, the, lamb, the sea beast and the land beast are, are a parallel false trinity. Okay. And so Satan does, just as God the Father saves you through Jesus, and then I heard some of you say through the Holy Spirit in your, your life, and that's true too, um, uh, that how does Satan deceive the nations after the thousand years are over? Yes. Through the Antichrist, through the lawless one. So we don't have to see these two passages in conflict with each other, or talking about different things because we have brains, right? Can Satan use somebody in your life to discourage you? Yes. yes. Is that person Satan himself? No. no. So in the same way, Satan deceives the nations. And that's all John sees fit and the Holy Spirit sees fit through John in Revelation 20 to tell us. Satan, when, when Satan is loosed, he deceives the nations to bring them all against God's people. Now, 2 Thessalonians 2, how does Satan do that? Does he come himself, you know, like Will Ferrell and, you know, all red makeup and everything and have that number one hit song? Sorry, that's an obscure Saturday Night Live reference. Yes. Satan doesn't show up bodily. There's no incarnated Satan who comes on the earth or he doesn't retake the form of a serpent. Okay? He does it through, Paul tells us, a lawless one. And this is, and, and so you see the connection there with what Bill said. So, um, uh, verse 9. So look at verse 9 here. Um, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. So here's the work of Satan, and here's the lawless one, and they are, the lawless one is doing the work of Satan on the earth. 
like somebody who discourages you in your faith. Um, like Peter, who says, well, Jesus, if you're going to get crucified when we go to Jerusalem, let's not go to Jerusalem. May it never be. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Is he saying Peter is Satan himself incarnated? No. Peter is doing the work of Satan, discouraging Jesus from completing his task. Okay? And so same, same thing here where we have 2 Thessalonians um, 2 here, um, where it tells us that the, the lawless one deceives. Um, Satan deceives through through a lawless one, uh, whom we can also call, what's John call him? The Antichrist. The Antichrist who is to come, who will be revealed at his proper time. Okay? Any questions about questions about this, Matthew? So, Peter is clearly a member of the elect. Yes. And he was a member of the elect when he told Jesus we shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Before the creation of the world. Right. Yep. Being rhetorical. Um, so that means that Satan can use members of the elect to deceive them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when you as a Christian sin against another Christian and discourage them, God hasn't just you. I mean, God's sovereign. But, you know, that's not you following the, the revealed will of God. You know, when, when you sinned against or you know uh, discourage your brother, okay, and so that's what we we always want to be used of God for good purposes, instead of somebody that Satan you know uses you know in our sin uh, toward other people, right? So would we say that was the spirit of the Antichrist when we when we sin against somebody else? Uh, I, I would not say that strong? since it's too strong because we're not being Antichrist. Um, yeah, a good, good question there to bring up. Okay. So as we look at this in total here, what we're seeing is in second Thessalonians two, um, right now during this age, um, we don't have a final battle happening right now. One of the things that is, um, being held back, um, is the you know one is the deceptive power against the elect so that they can't believe okay so that's being i don't know if i triple quadruple negative at that so it didn't make sense or didn't even say the right thing um, <laughs> so um uh, what's being held back now is Satan's power to deceive the elect what's also being held back now is the final battle because final battle can't happen right until the, all the elect are brought in. And so there's this holding back, there's this restraining that's going on now. There's still chaos in the world. There's still, you know, the, the, the non-elect are being deceived. They're, the evil one is blinding the minds of the unbelieving so that they don't believe the truth. Second, uh, or Second Corinthians 4, uh, 5, I believe. But... Um, but it's not this, uh, uh, um, there is this restraint that's going on. So, so elect can believe and so that things aren't as bad as they could be. And Satan right now is not allowed to completely 
uh, bring out all, um, all his weapons to attack the church. All the world to come against the church. That's being restrained right now. Um, so the lawless one will be revealed. Um, there's a coming of the lawless one. Um, and the coming, verse 9, there on the left, the coming of the lawless one will be in accord, accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. And so we see this in Revelation 20, 7 through 10 then at the bottom there. The devil, when he's released, verse 7, deceives the nations in the four corners of the earth. And uh, that's his work, okay? But this radical deception of the world is not happening because God's holding him back. Um, he's still uh, imprisoned in that way. He's still bound in that way from being able to um, gather all the, the non-elect, all the unbelievers against the church. Okay, Matthew and then Jim. This is not a gotcha question. I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely uh, interested. But so, Satan is being restrained from deceiving the elect. Like there is no elect that Jesus will not get, correct? Correct. So the question is kind of like the rock and whether God's going to create a rock. Is there an elect that could be deceived, mm -hmm. but for the restraint? Because if in fact, all of us would be okay yeah. so but there is there will never be a case of it occurring uh all the elect will be saved right right so and, and they'll be deceived until god regenerates them and then after they're regenerated they can believe bad they can believe false things like all of us do right this minute and that's why we keep reading our bibles and going to church right right so, so it, it's it's the, the statement or the recognition is more a declaration of just how powerful God is. Mm -hmm. It could be, but it won't because, you know, God's created the scenario, the circumstances, etc. But he's not going to allow the, the proof, so to speak, the, which would be mm -hmm. the opposite to ever occur. Because mm -hmm. he's in control of that, too. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Jim. So in second, I'm kind of off track a little bit, but this, in second Thessalonians 11, what it says... God sends a powerful delusion that they will believe the lie. Yeah. The lie is what? Is that the Jesus? Come after God. Jesus, come after the church, and you'll win. Okay. It's the same lie every time you're tempted. Do this, and things will be better for you. Right? And so that, that's, the, that's the, 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 the lie in context here is this great deception, and, which we then see... Uh, in, in uh, Revelation 20 is a deception unto coming against the church um, or uh, like in Revelation 17, 18, you know, it's, it's, it's portrayed as the battle against the lamb. So you say yeah, that sin works is the lie. Um, the lie is come against the church with me. Let's extinguish them okay. for good. That's the lie. That's what Paul's talking about. Okay, um, good. Well, we'll, we'll um, uh, if you have any questions about this, um, ask me, and we'll review this a little bit as we go through it here. Um, and uh, so let me summarize it for you so you have it more crystal uh, for you. 
Um, you have it all that way all the time, don't you? Everything's crystal for crystal. Um, two, two ways Satan is being restrained right now. He's being restrained from keeping the elect from belief. And he's being restrained from bringing about final battle. And that's what we see in these two passages. Satan is being restrained now, not in every way, but he's being restrained from keeping the elect coming to faith and from bringing all the unbelievers against the church and Jesus himself in final battle. That's the restraint. And so when Paul and John talk about this, um, there's a Revelation 27, Satan will be released. He's not released now. He's still bound. He's bound from keeping the elect from believing. He's bound from creating final battle and bringing everybody against the church. Okay, or on um, 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, um, he, is, he is restrained right now until this time where he will be, the lawless one will be revealed. Okay, and this is Satan's pawn. Will it be a single person? Will it be a group of people? Um, we, we don't know. And, and we don't, you know, don't look for a guy in a green turban or whatever here in the Christian bookstore, you know, and just... You just don't have to worry about that stuff. Uh, but, um, okay, well, that's, that's good. Let me, let me just pray.